Well, happy Easter. We're glad that you have joined us for this service today. Uh, if you're new to Impact, I'm Steve Hammer. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you are here. What a strange Easter this is for all of us. I mean, all of my life, Easter has been a special day at church with special activities. And for the last 41 years, Easter has been a work day for me. And uh, 33 of the last 34 years, I have preached an Easter message to multiple services at church. And this year we have multiple services online, but I get to preach the message just once. And so I hope I get it right. Uh, Again, it's been such a strange time with this stay-at-home order, and I've been looking for upsides to what's going on. And I guess spending more time with each other is an upside, and maybe getting some projects done around the house can be an upside. And so there are some upsides in the midst of all this, but here is an upside that you may not have thought of yet. After 16 scheduled games in the regular season, the Pittsburgh Pirates are undefeated. It's a great season so far. Seriously, the other upside for us as a church is about three times as many people are viewing our services online right now than we're attending in person each week. And for those of you who are new from our area or even those joining us from outside the Pittsburgh area, we're honored to have you with us. And I pray that we are giving you hope during this time, during this season. And I also want to invite you back next week as we begin a new series of messages that we're calling simply cultivate. We will look at the qualities or the fruit that God would like to produce in our life. And uh, it's things like uh, cultivating love and kindness and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And I hope that you will join us. I hope you'll invite your friends uh, to join us for this series also. As we begin this Easter message, let's pray together, shall we? Would you just, in your own words, in your own way, silently say something like this to Jesus? Would you say, Jesus, speak to me today. Open my heart to hear what you want to say to me right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 27, we read about the Saturday morning after Jesus' death. And we find that the religious leaders went to Pilate that morning and they said, we remember that Jesus said that on the third day he would rise again back to life. And they were afraid. They were afraid, they said, that the followers of Jesus would come and steal his body and then say that he had risen. And so they asked Pilate to post a guard at the tomb. And Pilate agrees. So they post a guard and then they put the governor's seal on the stone that was covering the entrance to the tomb to make it more secure. And so our not-so-innocent bystanders today are Roman soldiers assigned to guard the tomb of Jesus. Now imagine it, imagine it. They are stationed at the tomb of a Jewish teacher who had been crucified. 
Maybe they had heard about him. Maybe they had heard him teach. But they were professional soldiers. And they were guarding the dead body of a Jew. That had to confuse them. and Maybe make them angry. Maybe even a little bitter. They may have talked about the politics that had made this happen. They may have said that Pilate was too interested in placating the Jewish religious leaders. And we don't know how they passed the time. Maybe they passed the time by telling jokes. Or maybe they talked about this man who had died. Maybe they had heard about him, heard about the miracles that he had performed and some of the strange teachings that he had given. And some of them probably were near the cross of Jesus and they had seen him suffer and die. And they may have discussed whether they thought he was innocent or whether they thought he was guilty. We really don't know what they talked about there at the tomb. But I think it's fair to assume that these soldiers were anxious for this waste of time assignment to be over. And then it happened. Look at what it says in Matthew 28 verses 2 through 4. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. These guards see something amazing. They feel the earthquake and then the angel of the Lord comes down and rolls away this stone and sits down on the stone. And I have to believe that they saw Jesus, this man that they had seen die on the cross, walk out of the tomb alive again. And so what did they do? Well, first they fainted. They were so afraid that they fainted. And then when they woke up, they began to realize the huge thing that had just happened. The huge thing that they had just seen. They had seen a miracle, a dead man walking out of the tomb alive again. And so what did they do next? Well, next they took money to lie. They took money to lie. Look at what it says in verses 11 through 15 of Matthew 28. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. The story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. Now, don't miss this. The guards knew. They knew that Jesus had walked out of the tomb alive again. They knew. They knew that it was a miracle. They had seen uh, Jesus there. They had felt the earthquake. They had seen the angel roll this heavy stone away. And they saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. They were literally the first witnesses to the biggest event in human history. 
and they took a bribe to lie about it. They took a bribe to lie about it. Now, why did they lie? Why did they lie? Because the facts were inconvenient. And calculated lies were more profitable and less trouble for them than the truth. And apparently they were consistent with their lies. They told them over and over. And I try to imagine one of the guards through the years. I mean, he must have been asked about it many, many times. They must have said, weren't you there the day that some say Jesus came back to life? Yeah, I was there guarding the tomb, he would say. And he began to slip into his well-rehearsed lie. We do that too, don't we? Sometimes we tell the same lie so many times that it just rolls off our tongue far more easily than it should. And so he probably slips into his script. He probably says, you know, the guards made a deal amongst ourselves that we would take turns sleeping and it was my turn to sleep and the guards who were supposed to stay awake apparently fell asleep too. And that's when the followers of Jesus came and stole his body. And so he's telling his well-rehearsed lie. His lie that had been bought and paid for. And the whole time he's telling the story, the whole time he's repeating the lie, I think he's seeing the face of Jesus. I think he's seeing the face of Jesus walking out of the tomb alive again. It happened every time he told the story. And I imagine it happened sometimes when he wasn't telling the story. And so this is an interesting story from the day that Jesus rose to life. But you might be thinking, how does it really apply to us this Easter? Well, this Easter, when we're doing services at home and not even allowed to be in the same room with our church family or our extended family, how does this story apply? I'm thinking that the story helps us through some potentially inconvenient facts that hold us back in our relationship with Jesus. There are probably many, but let me share with you just a few that I've been thinking about as I've read this story. The first is this, being spiritual or religious isn't enough. It isn't enough. Now, we don't know if the Roman guards were spiritual or not, but the people who paid them to lie were the spiritual leaders of their time. They were the religious leaders of the day. And they knew too. They knew also that Jesus has risen to life. The guards came and told them and said that they had seen him alive, that he had walked out of the tomb alive again. They told them about the miracles. And guess what these spiritual religious leaders did? They completely ignored the spiritual implications of the miracle. They completely ignored the fact that this meant that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, the rescuer that God had promised. They completely ignored the fact that this meant that Jesus was without question sent by God. 
They completely ignored the fact that they were living in a time of God's blessings, in a time of miracles. They completely ignored all of that, and they did what politicians do, and they covered their own butts to keep their power intact, to keep life as easy as possible for them personally. And they did all of that while thinking that they were spiritual or religious. They really fooled themselves into thinking that they were okay with God in the midst of doing whatever it was they wanted to do. Now I say this because it seems popular today to say, well, I'm not really religious, but I am spiritual. I'm very spiritual. People say this as their reason to not go to church or to not really live the way that Jesus has asked them to live, to live the way followers of Christ are called to live. And many of them think that they're okay with God in the end because after all, down deep, they're really spiritual and they always try to love people and do the right things. Or they think that they're okay with God because they come from a very religious family and uh, they had a grandma who went to church every week. It's an inconvenient truth that the passage points out to us, but being spiritual or religious isn't enough. It isn't enough. Here's a second inconvenient fact for us today. Jesus can't be just a great teacher. He can't be just a great teacher. The guards and the religious leaders were faced with a question. When they knew that Jesus had walked out of the tomb alive again, they were faced with a decision. Who was this man? Who was this man that comes back to life? And each of them had to decide what they believed about Jesus. And the truth is, many of you need to decide what you believe about Jesus. You need to decide that too. You may think about Jesus sometimes. You might listen to people talk about him, but you keep putting off deciding what you think about him, deciding who he is to you. It's important for all of us to come to a decision on what we're going to think about Jesus. And if you're one who hasn't decided yet, I need to help you see a very inconvenient fact. One of the things that people commonly say today just isn't true. Many who aren't Christians believe that Jesus was just a great man, a great teacher, maybe the greatest teacher that ever lived. And some of them believe that uh, he did some of those miracles we read about, but not all of them. And they don't believe that he was God in the flesh. They don't believe that he was sent by God. But here's the problem. If Jesus' claims are true, he's much more than a great teacher. If what Jesus said about himself is true, he simply can't be dismissed or minimized as just a great teacher. On the other hand, if Jesus' claims are not true, he cannot be considered a great teacher. If what Jesus said about himself isn't true, then he isn't a great teacher because you cannot be considered a great teacher when what you teach isn't true. 
So I hate to disappoint you with this inconvenient fact, but the one thing that we cannot believe about who Jesus was is that he was just a great teacher. So let's think about it. Who is Jesus really? Well, there's really only a few choices as far as I'm concerned. One choice would be that he was just insane. He was crazy enough to believe that he really was God, that he really was the only way that people could get to heaven. Another option was that Jesus was a liar, that he knew he was just a man, but he lied to people to get them to follow him. He was apparently, if this is true, a pretty good liar, since his closest followers believed the lie enough that they died horrible and painful deaths based on the fact that they held on to their belief about Jesus. There's really only one more possibility. If, if you don't think he was insane, if you don't think he was a liar, you can decide that he was who he said he was. He was who he said he was. In other words, you can decide the claims of Jesus are true. You can decide that the miracles that he did really did happen and that he walked out of the grave alive again after being dead for three days. You can decide that he really is the only path to heaven like he said. That he is able to forgive your sin and to take you to heaven when you die just as he promised to do. And if you believe what he said about himself, then you would be foolish to not follow him, to not find your hope in him. It would be unthinkable that a person could understand that they could believe who Jesus claimed to be and not make Jesus the leader of their life. Each of us has to make a decision about who Jesus is. And if we're being intellectually honest, we just simply cannot decide that he was just a great teacher. Another truth that we should talk about is this, embracing the truth brings freedom. Embracing the truth brings freedom. When I was in the fourth or fifth grade, our teacher had us write stories. And then during craft time, we took our stories and we made them into little books. We used cardboard and wallpaper as the cover and uh, we made this book and, and I have the book somewhere because my mom saved everything. And my, my story was called The Little White Lie That Turned Black. It probably wasn't a great story, but it's a true concept. Sometimes the little lies that we tell grow and grow and grow and they end up trapping us and the only way to break out of the prison uh, that our lies have put us in is to tell ourselves the truth and tell others the truth Jesus said it this way and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free I wonder if any of those guards ever told the truth. I guess I picture it this way. The guard I'm imagining holds on to his life for years. He has watched for years as more and more people, thousands of people, begin believing in Jesus and following him. And 
he has learned to deflect questions from the hundreds of people who actually saw Jesus alive again after he rose from the dead. And he probably tries really hard to just never talk about it at all. And years pass, and then I imagine that maybe one of his grandchildren starts to ask questions. Maybe probing questions like, since by Roman law, soldiers who fall asleep while they're on duty are immediately executed, how is it that you're here to tell this story at all? Or, how did the followers of Jesus move that 300-pound stone away from the entrance of the tomb without any of the soldiers waking up? Or maybe, how can so many people give the exact same account of seeing Jesus alive again? And I imagine that it's his grandchild who he loves, the grandchild who trusts him to tell the truth. And when his grandchild asks, I just think he decides he can't lie anymore. And so he quietly says, it's all a lie. It's all a lie. No one stole his body. They didn't even try to steal his body. If they had tried, we would have killed them. And then he would tell the real story. How there was an earthquake. <clears throat> there was bright lights and the angel came down, the stone rolled away, and a dead man walked out of the tomb alive again. I think he would say, and when he walked out of the tomb, he looked at me. And what I saw in his eyes was not hate, it wasn't anger, but the look that I saw was love and compassion and concern for me. Now I believe if what I'm picturing is true, that day he embraced the truth and he was set free from the prison of guilt and shame that he had been in. He was set free by Jesus and friends, I believe that we will be set free by Jesus when we embrace the truth. Embracing the truth brings freedom. Let me share one more truth. Only, I think this one isn't an inconvenient truth, but a very timely truth. Here's the truth. There is comfort in the very first Easter message. There's comfort in the very first Easter message. The Roman soldiers seem to be the first one to see Jesus alive again. And we really don't know if the angel or Jesus had time to say anything to them before they fainted. So the first recorded Easter message was to some of the female followers of Jesus who have come to the tomb that morning. And the first message of Easter probably isn't what you would imagine it would be. It isn't he's alive. It isn't he has risen. Look at these verses from Matthew 28 verses 5 and 6. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. 
He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. Did you catch it? The first Easter message was three words. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That, my friends, is a message for us today in a world full of fear because of this horrible virus that is uh, taking the lives of thousands of people around the world and causing us to worry that we will be infected or that we might infect others. The message of the first Easter is don't be afraid. And at a time when people seem more divided and less willing to attempt to understand and accept people with differing viewpoints and ideas, the message of Easter is, don't be afraid. In a time when wars and disasters and economic collapse and crime seem to be more and more prevalent, the message of Easter is, don't be afraid. And in the quiet corner of our hearts and of our minds. Those quiet moments when we look at our own sin, when we look at our own guilt, when we look at our fears and our shame, the message of Easter is don't be afraid. Friends, whatever has you frightened today, whatever is causing you to feel anxious, hear the Easter message, don't be afraid. And the reason that you don't have to be afraid is because, as the angel goes on to say, he is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. When Jesus walked out of the grave alive again, he said, if you believe in me, you will not be lost, but you'll have eternal life. And because Jesus walked out of the grave alive and because I've trusted in him to save me, I have the promise that when I die, when I'm in the grave, I will walk into heaven and spend eternity with him and with those that I love who have trusted in Jesus. And because of that, no matter how bad things get here on earth, whether I stay healthy or whether I get sick or whether I live or whether I die, whether uh, I lose all of my retirement benefits or gain them back, I don't have to be afraid because Jesus has won over sin and death for me. And it all begins with each one of us telling ourselves the truth. Each one of us deciding what we're going to do with Jesus. Will you trust him to take care of you? Will you trust him to give you hope in the midst of hopelessness? Will you trust him to give you forgiveness and freedom? Or will you continue to believe the calculated lies that have kept you trapped for years? Today, I want to encourage everyone uh, who is watching this to take our 2020 spiritual survey. It will help us to take the spiritual pulse of those who are a part of our online community that we're serving at this time. The survey simply asks you very quickly to choose where you're at spiritually and perhaps to help you decide to do uh, uh, 
whatever it is that should be your next step. You can click on the link on the device that you're watching or if you're on YouTube, you can look into the description and find the link there or you can simply type in the link that appears on the screen right now. And if you're considering a relationship with Jesus, if that's what you mark, or you mark that you're beginning a relationship or uh, beginning again in a relationship with Jesus, we will be inviting you to join us on a Zoom call later this week so that we can serve you and uh, help you to identify and take next steps that will help you to follow Jesus well. But if you need to take a step towards Jesus right now, why don't you just pray this prayer with me? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to embrace your truth. I want to push aside the lies that have entrapped me and I want to follow you fully. I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've been trying to do things my own way. Now I want to trust you and let you be the leader of my life. Please forgive me. Please give me your peace. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. Now help me to live for you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I just want to say to you, way to go. Way to go. What a great choice to make on Easter. What a great way to take the first step to experience the new life. Uh, that Jesus can give to you. And if you prayed that prayer, will you either mark, I'm beginning a relationship with Jesus on our survey, or would you email me at steve at impactpittsburgh.com and we will help you take the other important steps that you need to take as you trust and follow Jesus fully. I pray today that you will experience his comfort, the comfort of the first Easter message. Don't be afraid because he has risen just as he promised he would. God bless you.